This is Radio Stockdale. Welcome to Radio Stockdale. I'm your host, Michael Sears, at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. Dr. James Giordano is the Pellegrino Center Professor of Neurology and Biochemistry, Chief of the Neuroethics Study Program, and Chair of the Subprogram in Military Medical Ethics at Georgetown University Medical Center. He is a Senior Bioethicist at the Department of Defense Medical Ethics Center, Science Advisory Fellow of the Strategic Multilayer Assessment Branch of the Joint Staff of the Pentagon a senior fellow of the Simons Center for Professional Military Ethics at that military school on the Hudson, and a distinguished fellow at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. Welcome, Dr. G, back to Radio Stockdale. Mike, it's always a pleasure to be here, and uh, so glad to be able to have this opportunity to speak with you and your audience. Well, this one is going to be about the brain and artificial intelligence and other technologies relative to deterrence. Let's jump right into it. How does artificial intelligence, particularly machine learning, serve as a force multiplier in the development and application of what you're calling chem biosciences and other technologies for specifically for deterrence? Well, you know, I think it's important to look at deterrence as sort of the state of the art. Uh, we're moving more and more in that direction. What, what deterrence essentially embodies is the ability to keep a competitor or an, or an opponent, an adversary, at bay. So if we look at what we've gone thus far in ChemBio, a lot of the ChemBio has been regulated by extant treaties, the Biological Toxins and Weapons Convention, the Chemical Weapons Convention. But what machine learning and artificial intelligence are allowing us to do is to move outside of the box of those things that are titled by, recognized, and regulated by those treaties and conventions, to be able to move into new areas whereby we can take data about individuals and then utilize that data together with the cutting-edge techniques of a variety of these biosciences and bioengineering, inclusive of things such as gene editing and synthetic bio. So when we talk about force multipliers, what we're really seeing is that machine learning and various iterations of AI, decision technologies, for example, coupled with big data, really allow this type of force multiplication for research, development, and use applications of various types of ChemBio S&T, as well as certainly in my area of expertise, which is the neurocognitive sciences and technology, which then becomes reciprocal because those areas of, of neuromorphic computational design and engineering are facilitating and allowing further development of machine learning and AI via these innovations in computing system design and construction. So in what ways do these algorithms influence disinformation campaigns? Well, you know, there's there's a lot of different ways you can go about this. They can use them singularly. Uh, in other words, what, what is sometimes referred to as merioform, where merio, the prefix from the Greek, means part, merioform applications. But more and more, we're using these in ways to combine them, what's called holoform applications. And there's a number of different ways to do this. So clearly, one way to do this is to utilize, for example, merioform applications of machine learning and AI in this way we can see that these types of algorithms are becoming ever more essential tools in shaping disinformation campaigns to analyze massive data sets, identify various targetable audiences, and this enables various actors. I mean, not just capricious or nefarious actors, but competitors, certainly competitors, to propagate a variety of false narratives, influence public opinion, and create social cultural division and schism. And as recently demonstrated, these types of disinformation campaigns can be used to 
direct and deter political opposition and destabilize democratic processes. I mean, we only need to look back to the 2016 election to see this as a clear and present engagement. So we're in an election year. Let's let's focus on the political context of, of what you're talking about. You, you touched on it a little, little while ago. How does predictive analytics affect political standing and sociocultural deterrence? Well, you know, predictive analytics have a number of implications for political, and this way we mean electoral, and therefore additional sociocultural deterrent means applications and effects. By analyzing behavior, preferences, various sentiments of particular public and constituent groups, these types of sciences and technologies can be employed both to gain insights to share in stakeholders' values and viable activities, and in those ways, predict or influence election outcomes. So this type of information and capability can be utilized implicitly, clandestinely, and at least initially covertly by a variety of extranational and international factions to affect target populations. And in that way, they can evoke directionally determined manipulation of competitors or opponents, individuals and groups, thoughts, emotions, and behaviors with potential mass action manifestation in and upon political, economic, ideological domains and dimensions, each and all of them that are influencing the viability of various elections in power. All right. So we're talking about that kind of power. Let me bring you forward to uh, military deterrence, intelligence, uh, intelligence-based power, especially in the domain of real-time human interfacing. H- how do you see this working relative to deterrence for real-time action? You know, this is where we really get into the use of various forms of machine learning, massive quantities of big data that are then viabilized, facilitated by machine learning, and ultimately put into various forms of decision learning, decision technologies that are various iterations of AI. So this becomes an essential component of both intelligence community and military cyber surveillance and defense. These types of algorithms can analyze network traffic, parse signal and noise ratios, identify various anomalies in ways that synergistically augment human use capabilities and can proactively respond to multi-domain risks and threats. So what this really allows is for real-time human machine interfacing and intelligence operators. And this really fortifies, strengthens, bolsters the existing intelligence and military operational networks and, and makes these systems considerably more difficult for competitors and adversaries to both breach and to also deal with. If we go one step further in the military domain, and I think this is critical, particularly for the audience that, that we're speaking to, the military domain has really seen significant advances and uses of these types of big data, ML and AI powered systems. And this includes optimized analytics, which basically goes to what we had said just previously. But also when we then couple these to the chem bio systems, this is what really allows the development of precision pathologies that can have maximally disruptive effect on targeted individuals and groups. And this can also affect the development and use of weaponry with various degrees of human dependent, governed independence and autonomy. So now we're really moving into is the types of pathologies that cross a range of spheres, not only the things that are chem bio, I mean, those types of pathologies, but also cognitive pathologies misinformational narratives, the ability to influence not just hearts and minds, but minds and hearts. And then by the same token, the use of, if you will, artificially enhanced representations of images, symbols that have referential value. And if we flip it, 
if we look at the ways that these types of technologies, these data science, machine learning, and computational technologies can be fed into weaponizable systems, now we're getting into ever more increasingly semi-autonomous and autonomous weapon systems that essentially take a human user in many ways out of the loop. Now, you're talking about proactive use of this technology for deterrence. Let me let me ask you about how these technologies can actually play into deterrence. Do, do, do the use of these technologies mean better deterrence? Well, well they certainly can. I, mean, I think there's, there's a couple of different ways you have to look at deterrence. One is proactive deterrence, which provides means and methods to exert some kind of influential force upon targeted burdens, risks, and threats that could then suppress, if not eliminate, whatever those development force strengths are going to be. And the other way is reactive deterrence, which now you're directing activity against an identified clear and present risk or threat with the idea of mitigating or preventing the extent or occurrence of what that negative impact is going to be, or to redirect those threats in those ways are going to have less impactful effects. So I think certainly we can see that not only ML and AI can be utilized in these ways, but if we then couple ML and AI to the chem-bio domains and dimensions, you get an omnibus of deterrent capabilities that certainly is greater than using those things independently or alone, and by the same token, creates not just an additive effect, but a truly synergistic effect. All right, so let's wrap this. This is, this is an interesting discussion, but let's see if you can, if you can please put this in an ethical or legal context relative to just the constructs of deterrence using machine learning and other AI technologies. Wow. Now, you know, this just opened sort of the, the Pandora's jar, which is the, what can we do? What should we do? What shouldn't we do? I mean, ethical questions obviously have to be pragmatically posed and addressed in balance with the interests of whatever national security and protection engagements these things are being used for. And I think it's also important to balance this with regard to key elements of global standing and global power. At the end of the day, what we can say is that these forms of various types of machine learning ultimately becoming greater and greater, more capable iterations of AI will be engaged to evoke outcomes that are relevant to national security, intelligence, and defense operations, both by state actors and by non-state actors. And, and the latter may in fact be proxies of state actors that are then employed to work individually so that they're sort of under that radar of, of mass detection. In an open society like we have, I, I would argue that it's a responsibility of our government to protect the polis. But once you make that argument, it then becomes necessary to establish proactive defensive knowledge of whatever scientific and technological capabilities and vulnerabilities that various competitors and adversaries may have, and understand how those could be used to exploit our own, and how those could be then used to leverage deterrent power, both, again, in a proactive way, in a reactive way. So this kind of meaningful stance of preparedness obviously is going to require analytics and address of technical as well as ethical, legal, and social issues that the use or non-use or misuse of these technologies individually and in combination could incur. And what that then does is serve to inform our guidelines and policies by a realistic appraisal in each and all of these issues as consistent with core precepts of other international deliberations. I mean, at the end of the day, what we're looking to do here is to fight for right and freedom, but we want to do so in a way that keeps our honor clean. 
And that's a discussion unto itself. I mean, what those ethics are, how we engage those ethics, and how those ethics need to be leveraged and in balance with what our international competitors will do, given different cultural bases, norms, standards, ethics, and practices that arrive, that's definitely a work in progress. Dr. James Giordano, thanks for bringing in the hymn. Uh, maybe we'll have you back to talk about what the other guys are doing or what we should do relative to the other guys, because we've got our context, we've got our policies, we've got our understanding. But how do we play knowing what those other guys, and I'm doing air quotes here, those other guys are doing? Listen, thanks for joining us on Radio Stockdale. And thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure, Mike. You've been listening to Radio Stockdale, a series of podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. You can hear more podcasts at stockdalecenter.com slash podcasts. 